Good morning, everybody. Those of you who were in Sunday school this morning, weren't we given quite a treat there, all those stories from Steve Iliff. That was fantastic, Steve. Really appreciate that. My son Todd tells me that he's already told everybody today that they're going to be giving the, uh, getting the message today in 3D. Is that right? <laughs> you got your glasses? You're all set? Actually, you won't need your Where did those glasses come from? Dan Billen, he's the one responsible. Well, uh, parents, those of you who didn't get the 3D glasses, you're not going to be cheated today. I'm, uh, you're in good luck. Uh, it is in 3D right here. This is it. I'm sorry. Uh, there is no PowerPoint this morning. I, uh, I um, uh, was up um, helping my dad with his leaves yesterday in Sabetha, and I just didn't get my PowerPoint done, so I'm sorry about that. But I hope you've got a handout today. And if you would, uh, just join me again here a moment in prayer as we head into the passage that we'll be looking at. Lord, I, I thank you for this passage in First Peter. I thank you for the pastor's heart of Peter. And I, I just pray that you would help me today to communicate uh, something of what Peter intended to communicate. I pray that where I'm off track, where I'm inaccurate, that you would help people to forget that, and and where I am accurate and where I'm right, that that you would help people remember what Peter has said here, what you have said through Peter. Lord, uh, I pray that for all of us, you would help us to apply it to our lives. You'd help us to be open to receive what you have for us this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been going through a series in 1 Peter, and we are up to chapter 2, verse, uh, verses 18 through 25. You have the passage there on the back of your handout. Does everybody have a handout? Everybody that wants a handout? If you want to take notes, uh, and Stan's got some extra copies there, thank you. Appreciate that. And there's a... Uh, I don't have the subject on here. I have actually titled this the, uh, the Witness of the Worker. We've been going through a series of, of things here um, regarding Peter. And, and, you know, one of the things, one of the reasons why we as leaders encourage everybody to read through their Bibles rather than just picking and choosing and things, but to actually read their Bible, your Bible is that when you read through God's Word, Step by step through the, through the passages, God confronts you with issues that he needs to talk with you about. Issues that maybe only you and he know about. And these are things that uh, also come up when you're teaching through the Bible just regularly. Today's topic might be one that I may not have chosen probably on my own in some ways. Uh, there's some issues here that I'm dealing with myself. But it's, but it's, I think, I can't avoid it because it's the next one up here on the list. Uh, <laughs> So let's, uh, let's go into that. Um, the, um, in the, uh, you know, well, I was going to say, uh, you know, once one time I was talking with a, a friend, a liberal, he's a liberal pastor, actually, uh, and he, didn't, he said he didn't believe in objective truth. And I, I asked him, well, well, what do you do then with passages where it talks about false teaching in Second um, Peter and in Jude? And he said, well, you know, there's just a lot of passages that I just can't teach about. And I, but he went on to say, but you know, I find that a lot of conservative and literal uh, pastors who say they believe in a literal interpretation of the word, 
do the same thing because they teach topically and they pick and choose what they're going to speak about in the process. When you're going through the Bible that way, you can't do that so easily. Today there's six topics I'd like to, six points I'd like to look at. And I'm, so I'm breaking the rule of a three-point sermon. I'm sorry about that, but I think we can still get out on time. Uh, the witness we'd rather avoid. You have them on your list there. The grace gift we didn't want to give or receive. The calling we didn't want to claim. The example that we didn't want to follow. The death we didn't want to die. The cure that we couldn't secure. The overseer we wouldn't have sought. These points come from 1 Peter 2, 18 through 25 and and you know what? This passage is so radically countercultural and so otherworldly, what some might call heavenly minded, that I think sometimes we have a tendency to gloss over them, to skip over them, maybe kind of like the Beatitudes that Kent's going through right now. Yet they're full of rich verses, and if you're looking for some verses to memorize, there are some great ones here. Uh, there's at least one here that's out of the Navigator's Topical Memory System, and and it's a, it's a great passage to work through. Um, Peter's been talking about the witness of the church here. In verses 11 and 12, we talked about the witness of believers' conduct in general. He was concerned that believers would be able to live in such a way that, um, that non-believers, on the day of their visitation, would be able to glorify God. That was in verses 11 and 12. Verses 13 through 17, we spent quite a bit of time on, I, I did, uh, talking about the witness of citizens in submission to the government as far as they're able. I called it the witness of, of rebels and, and martyrs. Today we're getting into the witness of the worker in submission to his master, and eventually we'll get into the witness of the family, wives and husbands. But today we have the witness of the worker, and it starts out with 1 Peter 2.18, and Peter says, uh, be sub, says uh, servants, be subject to your masters, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. And that's a, it raises a question there, because uh, it's very different from us. What is a servant along the way? Uh, the Greek has several words for servant. We find one of them in Chapter 2, verse 16, where it talks about all Christians that we're supposed to, although we're free, we're supposed to live as servants of God. But here in verse 18, it's using a different word, a different Greek word for a household servant. Some people try to make a big point of that distinction between a one Greek word and the other Greek word, but they're all actually different translations of the Hebrew word ebed, which Maybe kind of like, uh, in, I understand in Alaska that the Alaskans have lots of different words for snow that they, because they have so many different kinds of snow. They've got heavy snow, light snow, wet snow, I don't dry snow, different kinds of snow anyway. And they have a different word for each one, whereas we would have to use a different adjective. They would actually have a different noun for each one. The Greeks also had different words for servants. I think partly because servants were so common in um, in that part of the world at that time. It's estimated that Athens, uh, the, that four-fifths of the population of Athens were slaves at the time. Also um, in Rome, about one-third of the population of Rome were slaves. Slavery was very common at that point in, that, in, the, in the world. We don't quite have that, that feeling today. If you were to go to a Muslim country, you might get something of that feeling 
Uh, maybe th- those of you have read um, uh, different stories about Arabs or something, you might have heard the name Abdullah, which is our, our English corruption of the, the word Abdullah, which means servant of God, a slave of God. And in Arabic society, Arabic-speaking people, you'll find the name Abd as a part of all sorts of names of people. You've got not only Abd, Abdullah, you've got uh, Abdurashid, the servant of the guide, or Abdul Ghani, the uh, servant of the wealthy, or Abdul Malik, the servant of the king. And servant is everywhere, slaves are everywhere. I think it's interesting that in the Bible, one of the first instances of slavery is when we have um, Joseph being sold into slavery by uh, his, his brothers sell him to a bunch of, to an Ishmaelite caravan who's trafficking in slaves, and, and he gets taken on to Egypt. Uh, even today, in Arab-speaking countries, there is still slavery even common today. Uh, we don't have that in America, do we? Can you think of any names of people that have the name slave in it? I was racking my brains, and I couldn't think of any. There might be somebody somewhere that has the name Slav in it. Uh, we, we do get their Slavic peoples, Steve, you're, 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 I can't even get you with your history there. I, I, can't, I couldn't think of any, and yet it's so common in Arabic-speaking countries. I found that very interesting. Um, the, um, slavery is a huge topic, and it's not our topic for today. I, I, Steve spoke about it earlier today in the service, and I think that was his historical perspective was fascinating. But uh, in the Bible times, it was something that was very common. Uh, it's a little different from what we experienced in North America. It was typically something that was temporary, oftentimes. Uh, it, certainly for Jews who were in slavery, they weren't supposed to serve more than seven years. Uh, there was usually a limit to it. It was a possibility, oftentimes, for slaves to buy their way out of slavery. Uh, sometimes it was voluntary. People would... Uh, feel like that they, they just couldn't, they couldn't manage their own lives. They needed help. They, needed, they wanted to be under somebody who would be a benefactor, a patron. There were others who were in debt, and they needed to be in slavery so that they could, they could uh, 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 pay off their debts that were needed. Uh, we have stories of people who were oftentimes very well-to-do slaves, in a way. Uh, they, uh, they, they were managers. They... they um, uh, they were um, uh, sometimes uh, doctors even, scribes. They would also be people who were washing dishes and, and, take, and taking care of the fields and other things too. Sometimes slaves were there by conquest. One thing that slavery typically wasn't in the Bible is it was not based upon kidnapping. The, uh, that is one of the differences between North American slavery and slavery that's in the Bible. Kidnapping uh, was, is considered wrong in the Bible. In Deuteronomy and Exodus, kidnappers were supposed to be killed. They were supposed to be stoned to death. In 1 Timothy 1, Paul says about, slave, uh, about um, kidnappers, he's listing uh, the reasons for the law. He says that the law is good if anyone uses it lawfully, but the law is meant for the people who are lawless. And he lists in there a group of people, for example, people for, who were... Um, uh, Killers of, mother, of fathers and mothers. That's pretty de- bad. And in that same list, there are people who are kidnappers. In Revelation, it talks about Babylon. And Babylon is judged for several things. 
but a couple of things that they're judged for is for kidnapping and for, human, and for trafficking in human souls. So slavery in the Bible was something not, that was not something uh, uh, that was based upon kidnapping, and it was not based upon skin color. While slavery in the Bible was very different than American slavery, nevertheless, slaves in the Bible did have the following in common with American slaves. They were property of other people. They, were, they belonged to other people during the time that they were slaves. And they also were dependent upon their, their patrons for, uh, for protection, for food, for shelter. And also their obedience was forced during the time that they were, obedi- that they were slaves. Onesimus fled his master Philemon, and he was in big trouble for having done so, and ran to, ran to Paul. And the letter that Paul wrote to, back to Philemon asking for, for, for forgiveness of Onesimus may have been penned by Onesimus, according to a footnote that at least we find in the King James Bible. If we were to apply this verse here in 1 Peter 2.18, servants be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good in general, but also to the unjust. We would probably want to think of it in terms of the relationship of an employee to an employer. What applies to the slave should also apply to the voluntary worker. Workers should respect their, their authorities, not just the good in general, but also the unjust. That word unjust there actually comes from the Greek word scolios, from which we get the word scoliosis. So, you know, somebody who has a, a spine that's bent over. And it actually uh, means a person who is bent. Um, it's translated various ways in different translations. Your translation may have the word harsh or unjust, unreasonable, unfair. Uh, the King James has the word froward. I love that. I'd have to look, I had to look that up in a dictionary. Um, the, uh, I find it interesting that C.S. Lewis, when he wrote his, his uh, science fiction series uh, that's, based, that's uh, Out of the Silent Planet and uh, That Hideous Strength in Paralandra, uh, the people from Earth are regarded by other planets as the bent ones. They are the ones who are bent. And, and that's kind of what... Uh, um, Peter is referring to here, I bet C.S. Lewis got it from this word. I just wonder. Uh, the, uh, we, are, we are to obey even our masters who are bent. And I'm sure that's a witness that we would rather avoid if we could. Note that Peter makes a distinction in 1 Peter 2, 19 and 20 between suffering at the hands of the unjust and... Um, the unjust or bent authority and doing something wrong and suffering for doing something right or good. He goes on, he says, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures, suffer, endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And then in verse 20, he goes on and says, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. The words in 1 Peter 2, 19 and 20 uh, that are translated commendable, finds favor, thankworthy, acceptable are translations of the Greek words charis, actually, which is, a, which is the word for grace. And it it brings up the point of 
that, that there is a grace gift actually involved. And thus we have the, the, the grace gift that we don't want to give or receive. The word grace or gracious in this context, along with the word credit in verse 20, uh, and also carried on into extension, Peter goes on to talk about this in chapter 3, verse 9, where he talks about uh, uh, blessed that, so, that you may obtain a blessing, and then also in uh, 3.16, where he, uh, excuse me, 3.14, where he, he uh, talks about um, uh, bl- being blessed as well, that uh, being blessed for, for suffering for righteousness, that we have the idea that's brought up here of rewards. And like slavery, rewards is a really big topic, too big for us to handle here. But just to summarize that God doesn't just tell us to do something totally countercultural, something seemingly against all the worldly logic, without also giving us a promise that he's going to give us a, a special reward for doing so, for obeying him in a situation where all the world says we ought to be seeking our rights, we ought to be... Uh, we ought to be fighting for everything we can get. We get a reward for suffering for when we obey him rather than man. Which brings us to 1 Peter 2.21. The calling we didn't want to claim. 1 Peter 2.21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you in order to, that he might give you an example that you might follow in his steps. You know, we oftentimes talk about calling, and we think in terms of calling of being a, a, vo- a vocation, something that, by which we can make a profit from the future. Uh, we have to find our niche, the thing that we're especially good at, and we, we search for that sort of thing. But when we think of calling, we don't usually think of a calling to suffering. I remember talking with a young Jewish man one day who was a, uh, who had, had trusted Christ as a Savior. And he happened to be of a Plymouth Brethren background. He, he knew the Bible very well. He, he loved to share in the open worship time. And I was, he was uh, persuaded that God blessed those with riches, those who were, who, were, um, uh, who were fearing God, who were honoring him. And I said, well, I'm not sure how that quite fits with some of my experience and things I've seen. I hear all these stories of, of, uh, got from Gospel of Asia, like the missionary we had up here before, or, or Voice of the Martyrs, and stories of, of, of people who are you know, on their cross and they're seeing their family dragged away into slavery, um, their children being to be raised as slaves as Muslims, and, and their wives being sold into slavery and being split apart. And, how can, and the, the young man said, well, that doesn't fit into my theology. That doesn't work. You know, sometimes... That is the tough thing about passages like this, is that they, God does call us, could call us at any time to suffer unjustly, to suffer for doing righteousness, for doing something that's good. In uh, 1 Peter 2, 22 and 23, we have the the, uh, the death we didn't, uh, excuse me, the example we didn't want to follow as well. Peter goes on to talk about the, the uh, example of, of Jesus and how he, he, um, uh, 
He, did not, he committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. He, when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he, when he, was, uh, when he suffered, he didn't threaten. And these verses call up the, uh, the passage in, first, excuse me, in Isaiah 52 and 53. I believe Peter has this definitely in mind. If you were to go back to read that prophecy that, uh, that Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Christ, he is referring to uh, the suffering servant that, uh, that would come to suffer on our behalf. And Jesus did it. Uh, he was looking for that future reward, that day when, when uh, he entrusted himself to God's justice, we're told there in 1 Peter 2.21. In 1 Peter 2.22, we have a great verse that, um, uh, well, that's, I guess that, that is the verse that talks about he, didn't, he committed no sin nor was, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Some people wonder about Jesus and his sinless, sinlessness. That's a great verse theologically. It spells it out right there that Jesus was sinless. The result is that we come to 1 Peter 2.24. And in 1 Peter 2.24, a great verse of the topical memory system, that um, he, um, uh, he himself bore sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Through his death, he has, he has uh, bought us from our sin and our suffering. His suffering, the false accusations, the bruises, the crucifixion, was the death that we deserved. In our case, there was no need for false accusations. Like the thief on the cross, we'd have to say, we're receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Through his death, Jesus healed those who believed the, with the believe he healed them with the cure we couldn't secure on our own. We were sick, spirit, spiritually sick, and the sickness had infected our minds. We couldn't think outside the world's box. We couldn't see the big picture that ju- that justice wasn't limited to this world. We couldn't accept that there was no way we could earn heaven on our own. Even as Christians, we still get caught up in the world's ways sometimes. That's why. We remember Christ's death on, the, on our behalf. That's the way to wholeness and healing. Jesus is the one no one wants to hear about. People are okay talking about God. Have you ever noticed that? For the most part. But Jesus is the one who divides because not everyone will accept the cure that he, is, he alone provides. He's the only one that makes it possible for us to live to righteousness. There's a movie uh, that was put out in 2002 called The Time Changer. I don't know if anybody's seen that or not. It was a Christian movie. It probably didn't get a wide circuit. Uh, if any of you have heard of a Gavin McLeod, he was, um, uh, he, w- he was the captain. Anybody hear of him? He was the captain in, on the love boat, and he, um, uh, was, also the, um, he, uh, he was also a, a lead in Mary Tyler Moore's show that she used to have. Uh, Gavin McLeod became a Christian in 1984, and he said of, of all the things that he has done, there's only two things that he can, he's done as an actor that he considers to really be redeeming. One is the time changer, and the other one is the secret of Jonathan Sperry. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen either one of those. Uh, the time changer is about a man from the late 1800s who 
who uh, writes a thesis, supposedly, in which he proposes that it might be possible to teach ethics, to teach values without Jesus. And uh, one of the people on the board, on the university board, questions whether that might really be a possibility or not, and, and thinks it's a very dangerous thing that he's proposing. And just fortunately, he has a time machine and a way to send him in the future to see how things work out. And he's, he's shocked when he gets to the future to see what things are. It's epitomized in the statement of one day he's out and a little girl steals his sandwich. And as he catches her and says, little girl, don't you know what you've done is a sin? It's wrong. Her response to him is, who says? Who says? And that's what we end up with. We don't have Jesus as the basis of our morality. If you try to propose an ethic or a value without Jesus, you end up just with one voice among many voices, all different voices proposing what might be a possible value or a, a, an ethical teaching. Finally, Peter reminds us that Christ, through Christ we have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our soul, souls. In 1 Peter 2.25, Peter has in mind Isaiah's prophecy from Isaiah 53.6, again, which in that passage it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of our soul. Iniquity of our our souls. Um, soul could as easily be as easily translated as life, our current life as well as our eternal life. Our lives are important to God. A shepherd leads the sheep to food and shelter and protects the sheep. An overseer manages, manages and rewards and discipline those in his charge. Through Christ, we've returned to the shepherd of shepherds, that overseer of overseers. We've given our lives back to God's management and control and protection. I'd like to change the six points here a little bit here at the end. Uh, Through Christ, we accept the witness we'd rather avoid. We appreciate the grace gift we hadn't wanted to give or receive. We embrace the calling we were afraid to claim. We follow the example of Jesus' life. Through Jesus, we are grateful Christ died for us and we carry our own crosses. We have secu- through him, we have secured the cure we couldn't manufacture on our own. And we seek the overseer who has our best interests at heart. Last Thursday night, I went to a funeral that was one of the most gut-level, honest funerals I've ever attended. Uh, Chad Barker, with the encouragement of his uncle Terry, uh, shared a word from the scriptures that laid out the plan of salvation and our need for a savior, no matter how much a person has accomplished or what degrees that person may have earned. Both Terry and Chad were very clear that while they could celebrate the life of their beloved grandfather and father, he had never given them the reassurance that they would be able to see him in heaven eventually. It wasn't clear that he'd humbled himself and accepted the only means of salvation acceptable to God, the substitutionary death of Christ. If you haven't accepted Christ yet, why not do it today? And why not tell someone who loves you that you've accepted Christ? Make sure they know that you're not trying to stand before God based upon what you've done, but instead based upon what Christ has done. The famous question is, if you were to stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? If the answer isn't, because Christ died for me, 
and I've accepted his payment for my sin, or something like that at least, then you haven't entered yet into that special relationship with God that he only offers to those who humble themselves and accept his only sinless son. Why not do it today? The snowball starts with Christ. There really are no other truly self-help answers. In addition to being a good employee, in addition, being a good employee isn't just a choosing joy or, or being positive. It's being mindful of God, isn't it? As Peter lays out in 1 Peter 2.18, it's dying to sin and living to righteousness. Like Peter lays out in 1 Peter 2.24. Do you pray for your employer? Are you submitting to your employer as far as you are able? Also, are, are you embracing opportunities for God's grace gifts to you? Opportunities to suffer for doing good, perhaps on behalf of your employer or others. Finally, are, are you thinking counterculturally by thinking Christianly? Learning to testify to Christ is a great place to start. Open worship, as we practice it here at Lion and Lamb, is an opportunity to bring Christ into your world and testify to the difference that he has made in your life. Let's pray. Lord, as we continue with our worship today, uh, I thank you for the, the music team and the, 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 they'll be leading us here in just a moment. Thank you for the songs that they'll have for us and for the reminder for, through those songs, uh, our opportunity through our songs as we uh, sing aloud to voice our confession of faith in you and our desire to obey and follow you. Lord, I, I pray that uh, we might learn to do that as well uh, in our own private lives, in our work situations and in our families, certainly in the church as well. Pray, Lord, for our time of open worship as well and for those who might be prepared and willing to share today and even those who aren't prepared and willing who might feel that they have something now that they would like to share, that you would guide them in their, as they lead us in worship and as they build up the body and as they glorify you. Lord, we thank you for your provision for us, for your taking care of us. We thank you for the employers we have. We thank you that there are good and gentle employers out there. We thank you also that, uh, that even if we do have to suffer for righteousness' sake, even if we do end up suffering for doing something that's good, that you have a plan for that, you've accounted for that. We're just simply following your example out of gratitude, and yet on top of that, you give us a reward. What a blessing, Lord. We uh, thank you for that, for those promises, for your gifts, and give you today in our worship. In Jesus' name, amen.